You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. God helping, that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at Psalm 23. It's on page 261, I believe, in the Bible. Somewhere around you, there's a Bible. Uh, If that's not the right page number, Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. Just crack it open at the middle and go to Psalm 23. This is a very familiar, like I mentioned before, a very familiar passage. It's a bit like the fine china at your house that kind of is preserved in a special place that you pull out at Easter or Christmas, uh, but you don't necessarily use for everyday use. But what I hope is that we would take something that is very familiar and put it into uh, practice in our lives, that we would believe the truth that we're going to be talking about today in Psalm 23 every day, that we believe what we're going to look at today every single day. So I, I do say that it is familiar, but there are people here today in this room who are not familiar with Psalm 23, have never maybe read uh, Psalm 23 before, so I'm very excited for you to be introduced to it for the very first time. So uh, Psalm 23 says this. I'm going to read it, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get going here together. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would lead us here today like a good shepherd into the truth that you would have us to believe and that it would change us, that we would see what we're supposed to see and it would unlock something in our hearts and it would unlock a new degree of faith and maybe faith for the very first time in some of us here today. And so we ask that you would do that miracle in our hearts because we can't turn one hair white or black, but you can do all things and work miracles in our hearts through your word. So speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the big idea of Psalm 23 is this. God is a shepherd and relates to us personally like a shepherd. You can see that in the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so what we're going to be looking at together is really just exploring what a shepherd does and how that relates to God and how he shepherds us. God is a shepherd. He relates to us personally like a shepherd. And what does the shepherd do? Four things we're going to be looking at. He leads us. He protects us. He loves us, and he follows us. Leads, protects, loves, and follows. Let's look at lead. He leads us first and foremost. Look at verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is writing this. 
David, who became King David, was once a shepherd. So he really understands what a shepherd does. He has intricate involvement of the life of a shepherd. And then he, he projects what he experienced as a shepherd onto the way that God cares for him and loves him and protects him. And he says, Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd. Not will be one day, not was at some point in the past, but he is right now, present tense, my shepherd. And not just like general, a shepherd for all people kind of out there, just kind of caring for everybody. No, he says, this God is my shepherd personally. He is my personal shepherd and I shall not want. God is my savior. He's my leader. He's my treasure. And therefore, I lack nothing. So that word my is very, very important because what he's doing there is he's personalizing all the activity of what a shepherd does, translating that to how God cares for him in a very personal way. And isn't this the good news of the gospel, that God comes to us in Jesus Christ and takes what is out there about what we have heard about God and brings it home personally so that God becomes our God personally and that we are led and guided and protected and loved by a shepherd. Well, notice how he leads. Verse 2 says, here's how he leads. Here's how this shepherd leads. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Some of us are like, I don't know if I like the idea of God making me do anything. Well, this shepherd makes the sheep lie down where there is food and nourishment and refreshment by the green pastures. As David writes this, he lived in an arid, dry, cracked ground kind of area. The grass was always elusive. It was always hard to find. You had to be a good shepherd to know where the grass was. David says God is like that. He's able to find the grass for the sheep so that he can have them lay down and eat and find refreshment and nourishment in the green pastures. This is a good shepherd who leads by still waters. He knows where the water is. He knows where the grass is, and he restores the soul. So now we know he's not talking about just physical, although God does provide for us physically. We're talking about something spiritual. Shepherds know how to find the green grass, but our God as shepherd knows how to find the spiritual nourishment that we each need personally from God. You see, David was tuned into the reality that he lived in a spiritually dry and weary land, and he wrote about it in other psalms. He says in another psalm like this, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, that was the geography of what David walked through when he was a shepherd leading sheep. There was no water here, and it was dry, and it was weary. And David says, that's how my soul is apart from you. My soul is thirsty. And I live in a spiritually dry, in a spiritually weary place. And I wonder if we had eyes to see. I wonder if the Holy Spirit would would do a good gift to wake us up to the reality that we live in a dry and a weary land and we need our hearts restored. That means to be turned back to the way it's supposed to be. We need our hearts brought back home to God because we live in a dry and a weary land. 
Our city was birthed probably about 20 years ago, at least the present tense kind of version, the, the latest iteration of our city that we love so much. But it was birthed out of a drivenness. It was birthed out of a, out of a wantonness. And to this day, our city is dry from its drivenness and weary from its wants. And you can feel that in your own life. You can feel that in your own situation, potentially your own family. There is a pace to this city, and it is wearying, is it not? And it dries us out. The competitiveness of the city, the desire to become more, to become successful, or to or to put all of your desire for success and to place that on your kid and have them succeed and become what you could never be academically or socially or athletically or what have you. There is a, a weariness of our land and there's a weariness to our lives. And one of the best blessings that God could give to us today is to wake us up to our thirst. You know that you can be dehydrated and not feel thirsty, but your body is thirsty, and so you can actually faint from dehydration and never actually feel thirst. That's the same truth spiritually, that we are, can be spiritually dehydrated and need this refreshing water that comes from God. We need to be led. We need to be led to the green pastures. We need to be shown where the still waters are. And I wonder if you could even cry that out to God just in a really honest place, just right where you are, to say, I, I feel like I'm in a dry, in a weary place, and I need you to lead me. Even as, I'm, as, even as I'm preaching, you could say, Lord, I need you to lead me like a good shepherd to where the green grass is and to where the water is. Augustine said it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You know that about your heart? You ever feel like your heart is just restless? It's just going in a thousand different places. It's going here and it's going there and it's reaching for this and it's reaching for that. And you just never feel like you can just quench the thirst. That's what our city does. That's what our, our neighbors do. That's what our coworkers are doing. We reach for things. We're trying to, to just quench that thirst in our hearts. And it just ends up being either an empty cistern or it ends up being filled with sand. And we're just like, where's their water? Where is there water? Because I can't find water anywhere. It's because we need a shepherd to lead us. David says God is that. God is a shepherd that leads us into the waters. He knows how to restore our soul. But he not only leads us, verse 4 says, he protects us. Verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, could there be any, any sweeter words than to hear that God as a shepherd is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death? In this day and age when David's writing this, in order to find the grass and to find the water, the shepherds would have to go through these steep, steep valleys and these dry channels, literally dried up ravines with canyons and, and just walls on both sides. And in that situation, you don't see the light, you don't see the sun. It's dark and it's hot and it's humid and there's no water and you don't know how long it goes, but you've got to go through it in order to get to the, to the hill and to the green grass and the water on the other side. And in that situation, there's no light, there's no wind, there's no water, and there is no protection. 
And it's literally a shadow of death because the threat to the sheep is that they could die from heat. They could die from dehydration. They could, they could be taken away by a thief. Somebody could just come alongside one of the wandering sheep and just snatch it and take it away. Or one of the sheep could just die, could just be attacked by a, a wild animal or a wolf or something. So you're extremely vulnerable as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're just aware that death is imminent and it could strike at any moment. Some of you today are walking through a valley of the shadow of death. You're petrified and you're scared because death could strike at any moment. Or you had some scares in your life and you're like, is this it? Am I getting snatched away now? I knew it was coming at some point and here it is. And you don't feel protected and you don't know where the water is and there's no wind in this place. And you don't know how long this thing is going to go. And life is often like that. It involves the valleys. We wish it was just all the hills where the green grass is. But in order to get to where we're supposed to go, life sometimes involves walking through a valley of the shadow of death. But there is comfort. Notice the words. You, David says, are with me. Not you will be. Not you were in the past, but you as my shepherd are with me in this valley. You're with me as I walk through this difficult, scary place. And notice there's a couple of things that comfort David about God walking with him through this valley. Because David had a lot of stuff he walked through and a lot of challenges. And he, he's very specific. Notice, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As he imagines God with him, as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he gets very specific. And, and he knows that as a shepherd, he carried two instruments with him at all times, a rod and a staff. And he says, God's like that. God carries around two instruments as well. The first is a rod. Now, a rod is literally what you might think it is. It's a short club that was used for protection. It was, it was exactly a weapon. It was a weapon that was used by shepherds to, to you, know, you know, hit and club and to protect the sheep whenever they were a- attacked or surprised by a wild animal or potentially a thief. It was just always there to, to just kind of shoo them away and, and, and get them out of there. Now, everybody's got something like this in their life, some kind of weapon in your life that you reach for that provides a little bit of of comfort to you. For some, it's it's maybe a a golf club by your bed or a baseball bat that's uh, that's hidden nearby, something like that. Uh, I have a friend that uh, one time he was in his his trailer and... um, uh, there was like some kind of door at the bottom of his trailer and some guy was trying to come up from, the, from underneath and was trying to like rob him and thought he was gone or something. And my, my buddy Justin just starts hollering at him, oh, I'm up here, I'm up here, get out of here. I don't know what he said. Like, he said, I don't know what I said. I just said, get out of here. And I said, well, what would you do then? He said, I just grabbed the nearest thing to me that I could use as a weapon and I, I grabbed my iron. And, and he grabbed... 
And I said, what would you do there? He's like, well, I just held this iron up. And I said, I said, I'm here, I'm here. And I was just ready to clock this guy if he came up with, with this iron. And thankfully, it scared him off. He didn't say, hey, I got this iron. And the guy ran off. He just left. And uh, he never had to use it. But everybody's got something like that. Everybody's got something that you reach to. And uh, in a moment of fear, you'll reach for any number of things and use it as a weapon. And I understand there are some people in here who have very sophisticated weapons, right? So uh, everybody's got something. Well, well, David says God's got a rod because he's a shepherd. And David knew the potential of what a rod in the right hands could do. You all know the story of David and Goliath. But do you remember right before the story of David and Goliath, uh, Saul, whose king, says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. You're just a teenager. And in our culture today, we're told teenagers can't do anything. And in that culture, they were told that teenagers couldn't do anything either. And, uh, and he says, but this man of war... Uh, has, has been fighting people since he was a teenager, and he's this, this huge giant. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. David says, here's why I'm qualified to go up against Goliath, because I was a shepherd once, and I used to keep sheep for my dad. And when there came a lion or a bear, he's not even sure which animal it was, it took one of the lambs from the flock. And he says, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. How did he do that? He did it with his rod. And after it arose against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and I killed him. David says, I took like the mane of the beast and I had my rod in the other hand that I carried with me to protect the lambs. And with its, you know, snarling grip on the sheep, I belted it right across the head and killed it. I clubbed it. I protected my sheep and I took my sheep in my arms and brought the sheep back to the fold. And that's why I can go up against Goliath because I've, I've done these kinds of things before, David says. And I did it with a rod. Well, as, he, as he thinks about God's protection over his life, he realizes that that kind of protection is always surrounding him, and it comforts him. But it's not just a rod that comforts him. Notice a staff is in the other hand of a shepherd, and a staff is what you would imagine it to be. It's a long walking stick. It's got a crook at the top, and it's, it's much longer than a, than a rod would be. This is not a weapon. This is used for guiding the sheep. The sheep kind of stare down at the ground, and they're aware of the shepherd's feet, and they're aware of that, that staff that is there showing them where they're supposed to go. And he says that's what God is like. God guides us everywhere that we're supposed to go. But the top of the staff was there just in case the sheep wander off. You could take the sheep and pull it back because it's got that crook at the top. That wasn't just like, you know, decoration. That was functional. You actually pulled the sheep back. Why did sheep need to be pulled back? Because they wander off, man. They, you know, you've heard the phrase herding cats. Well, they probably got that from herding sheep. I mean, they just, they're frigid and they're scared and they just wander off to here and there and you got to continually pull them back and it's hard work to be a, a shepherd. So as 
as David thinks about the, the protection of God over his life, he realizes two realities. That when I'm attacked, you spiritually club my enemies when they attack me. And it comforts him. And he also knows that when I wander off, you guide me back to yourself. You've got a rod and you've got a staff. So you are leading me, but you are leading me specifically. So God leads us. God protects us. But look at verse 5. God not only leads and protects, he loves us. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. David says, God loves his sheep as a shepherd so much that he almost has to change the metaphor to where he's like a host that invites us to his house, sits us down at his table, serves us, prepares a table before us. It's not us just serving him, it's him serving us, and then sits down with us to eat with us. That's how much he cares for us. In other words, the illustration of him just kind of throwing food at the sheep doesn't quite match up with his reality of the intimate love and the intimate care that David experiences from God as a shepherd. This is actually, it's more like he invites us into his home and sits down with me and prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the threat is still out there, but it's almost like the threat is looking on and they are shocked and awed at the reality that God cares, loves, protects, and is actually fellowshipping with me and eating with me. He's anointing my head with oil as my enemies look on in shocked silence. And that anointing is just a mark of blessing that I'm with you always and never to leave you and always to provide for you. The enemies look on as, as I'm sitting at dinner with the shepherd and my cup is overflowing. He's generous. He's kind. He is bountiful and beautiful. And he's not miserly. And there's not like you can't have seconds. It's overflowing, his grace is, as I sit at his, at his dinner, at his table. David was aware of the loving kindness of God in his life, and it changed him, and that's how he's able to think about how God loves him now. I, I mentioned that David was a shepherd. He was also a king, and I mentioned King Saul earlier. Well, there was this moment where the, the kingdom of Saul got transferred over to the kingdom of David, and David became king, and Saul and his whole family and everybody who followed Saul became kind of the enemies of the state. But David, aware of the loving kindness that he was not worthy of this place of being king, says one day, is there not still someone, anyone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? He's aware that I, I've been shown kindness from God. Is there somebody in Saul's house? I know everybody hates him, but is there somebody I can show kindness to? And one of the guys said to the king, there's one guy. He is the son of Jonathan, and he's crippled in his feet. 
In other words, you've never seen him because he can't go anywhere unless he's picked up and carried. And now he's the enemy of the state. Nobody wants to do anything with this guy. But he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. He's way over there. But King David sent and brought him from that house and brought him in. And Mephibosheth was his name, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. And he came to David and Mephibosheth fell on his face and he paid homage. And David says, Mephibosheth. And he answers, behold, I am your servant. And David says to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth is the one, I don't deserve your kindness. I don't deserve your love. I'm an I'm a enemy of the state. I can't even get from where I was way over here to your house, and I for sure shouldn't be sitting at your table. But we're told later in that chapter that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So there he is at the table, literally had to be picked up and carried to the table where he did not belong in the presence of his enemies. David says that's what God is like. He picks us up to a place we can't walk to and we don't belong to and we don't deserve to be, sits us down at the king's table in the presence of our enemies. You say, man, I don't even know if I have any enemies. What, what kind of enemies would I have? Well, the Bible's very clear. We have an enemy and it's like a, a three-headed monster and that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we're always attacked, sometimes by the world and the world's temptations, the world's expectations, the world's values, the world's culture. And sometimes we're attacked by the enemy of our flesh, our, our sinful desires that we're told over and over again by the Spirit to put to death the works of the flesh, the old man, some, some places of Scripture describes that as, and we're also attacked by the devil who constantly tempts us and then accuses us when we give in to temptation, just that constant cycle of accusation and temptation. That's a three-headed monster. And David says, listen, with the enemies looking on, God sits down with you in his house. You're in his house if you're his sheep. And if he is your shepherd, you're in the house of God and he's serving you because he delights and loves you. See, the, the best kind of shepherd is a shepherd who loves the sheep. And in Psalm 23 says, God is the best kind of shepherd. Because he's not a hired servant. He loves the sheep and delights in them and enjoys them the same way that you would enjoy somebody that comes to your house and that you would serve dinner for and sit down and, uh, to a meal with and enjoy. That's how God is. He loves us. So he leads us, and he protects us, and he loves us, but he also follows us. Look at verse 6. Surely 
David just kind of takes three steps back and just goes, wow, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he just pictures his life as as difficult as life is now, and sometimes it involves going through dark, dark, dark valleys and some real suffering and some real pain. Goodness and mercy is going to follow me into the valley. He's right there with me. The Lord is my shepherd, and he is with me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And his goodness and his mercy are on both sides of me in the same way that God holds a staff and a rod. I'm surrounded by his goodness and his mercy that's following me all the days of my life. And it only gets better because I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His mercy is never going to stop. It's never going to dry out. It's never going to go take a break. It's never going to sleep on the job and then I get attacked and then I get snatched away and then I get whatever. He's always going to be with me. He's following behind me. And it's one thing to lead out in front. It's another thing to follow behind to make sure somebody goes where they're supposed to go. You see those movies where it's like, hey, this guy's, you know, you're going to go here. And these two guys are going to make sure you get to where you're supposed to go. You guys seen that movie? Maybe not. I've seen it. I've seen it. I don't know who I'm trying to imitate, a mobster. I don't know what kind of. But that's what the goodness and mercy. They're going to make sure we get to where we're supposed to go. And they surround us. And they're always around us. And that doesn't mean that nothing can ever hurt me. It means that nothing can harm me ultimately because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His goodness and mercy go nowhere. They go nowhere. You go to the doctor's office, his goodness and mercy go nowhere. You got an oncology visit and you don't know what they're going to say. His goodness and mercy go nowhere. They are right there following you, and his mercy and his grace leads you. I learned really recently about this act called the Former President's Act, the FPA. And the Former President's Act is, you know, an act of Congress for former presidents, which involves several benefits that I won't list. But one of the benefits of, of serving as President of the United States, includes a lifetime of secret service protection. So that when, the, when, the, when your days of sort of the most imminent threat pass, the protection stays. Some of you are you're gonna, you're in a valley right now of the most imminent threat that you could imagine. And goodness and mercy follows you there. But when you come out of the valley and you're on the hill and you're just worried about, is there going to be another valley coming up? His goodness and mercy stays with you. And it's going to be with you all of your life. And then you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It never goes away. Understand, when you're in the house of God, it never goes. It never parts. It's always with you. And it's with you forever. So he leads us, and he protects us, and he loves us, and he follows us. But let's close this way. 
Jesus came describing himself as the good shepherd. Not as a good shepherd. He boldly claims that he is the good shepherd. He says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. So if you're here today and you're playing around with darkness and you're wondering if there's life outside of Jesus and God and you're just kind of going that direction, hear that from the mouth of Jesus. The thief that you're messing around with comes only to steal and only to kill and only to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Some of you, your experience has been you've been snatched and you've been scattered. And it's because you've followed a thief. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and then he goes about his ministry proving it. So we find out in Mark that there's a hungry crowd of 5,000 people, and to this hungry crowd, Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, Mark tells us. Why do we need to know that the grass is green? Because we need to be aware that Jesus is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, this is meager offering, Jesus looks up to heaven, says a blessing, breaks the loaves, gives them to disciples, and sets them before the people. And he divides the fish among them all. And they all ate, and they were all satisfied. They all have this meal, and they're kicked back, and they're stuffed. And then they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. Literally, their cups overflowed in the green pastures. They were baskets, but you get the point. And then Jesus goes about more. When, when at the sea, his disciples are so scared, they wake him up and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind, rebukes the raging waves, and they are ceased and they are calm. And he leads them beside still waters. Jesus can make the water still Jesus goes on to restore the soul of a spiritually thirsty woman at the well. This woman who was on the fifth broken relationship in her life and was just reaching for anything that could quench that thirst that she had in her soul. But Jesus, understanding the place of the soul, says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And Jesus 
leads people in paths of righteousness, when he went through all the cities and all the villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Why? For his namesake. And you can see where I'm heading with this, right? Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death when he walked alone in the garden late at night, praying, not my will, but yours be done. And he takes that all the way as he carries the cross up the hill of death. And on that hill of death, Jesus took the wrath of God against evil, becoming our evil and our curse for us as a substitute so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus as their substitute could have no fear of evil in every form of evil, whether that's death or hell or the grave. And Jesus, through the cross, clubs the mouth of the enemy who accuses us day and night. He grabs the, the beard of it and clubs it right in the mouth and lets us go from those accusations by putting them to open shame, Ephesians tells us, and triumphing over them. And through that same cross, Jesus comforts us, guides us back into relationship when we wander away, reminding us that at the cross, he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. All the demands barking at us, but the cross silences those demands because it's nailed to the cross and he is our righteousness. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we are brought back home from our wandering ways. And in his resurrection, Jesus comes up out of the grave and then prepares a table before us in the presence of our watching enemies and makes our cup overflow like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he does that all through his spirit that he promised that he would give to us after he is raised from the dead. And listen, Jesus promises this to us today. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's what he says. You're in the grip of grace if you're in Jesus and nobody, can anybody snatch a sheep out of the grip of the grace of Jesus? Nobody can. Jesus said so and he never lies. No one can snatch them out of my hand, but it gets better. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. No one can snatch them out of my hand. If you're in me, you're going nowhere. You are safe, and you are protected, and you are known and loved and guided and followed. But not only are you in Christ, but Christ is in God, and you are protected, doubly secure, by the grip of Jesus and the grip of your Father. And in that place, Jesus says, you know what? I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So protected and secured, he sends us out 
to make disciples, and they will hear his voice. They will hear his voice. So listen, if you're in Jesus, if you're in Christ today, he is in front of you, leading you. He is around you, protecting you. He is next to you, loving you. He is behind you, guiding you, and sending you out with the gospel. And you're safe and secure and guided and known and loved. So it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here's the reality. Everybody's a sheep. I know we wish that we could be other animals. But the Bible says we're all sheep. And we are either sheep with a shepherd, protected and guided, led, loved, or we're harassed and we're helpless. And I wonder if the Lord today is just speaking to, speaking to you in a place of harassment, in a place of helplessness. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they'll follow me. And I wonder if you could hear his voice through my voice. It's not my voice, it's his voice, but his voice through my voice commanding you to lay down in the green pastures today. Here's what it sounds like. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here I warn you, the thief comes only to steal, only to kill, only to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it overflowing. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.